just in case one or two of you are a little confused, um, as if this is not what was built or what was presented, as we sat back and reflected upon the content we want to look at over the next seven weeks, uh, we felt we need to do a session to lay some groundwork rather than pressing straight in to pain. We thought we'd leave pain for a week. <laughs> but we, we do want to talk a little bit about this, this whole realm of, of, of emotion and sort of emotionality and the way we deal and respond to those things because hopefully as you're going to see that there's, um, they're, a, they're a big indicator of our sense of health. And we're talking about this, this question of freedom you know, Christ came to set us free. I mean, he came to set us free from the power of sin. But sin is essentially a lack of love, a lack of connection, disconnect, both from God, but also inevitably from people, because essentially to disobey God is to disobey the, the commandment to love him and one another. And, um, <clears throat> and therefore, because of that, um, emotion plays into the questions around freedom. And we have to address those, as we'll see. Won't get into that too much quickly right now. But the other side of that is we're not just set free from something, we're actually set free for something. Um, you know, Paul puts it in Galatians and said, you know, don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. It's not saying do whatever you want, because that's only actually going to take you back into slavery to sin. But rather, um, use your freedom to serve one another in love. And therefore, the fruit of the gospel of course, is love, but it's also connected, healthy, I would say intimate and open relationships. And believe you me, if you don't deal with the realm of the emotion, you won't have those because it plays such a big part. So we felt we wanted to sort of camp out here for a little bit because often it's a realm, as we'll discuss in a bit, that in the church we don't give a lot of time to because we're afraid of emotionality and uh, emotionalism and uh, even a bit wary. And obviously there are different views on that. So that's what we're doing. And that's why we're talking using some of this language of emotional health or fitness. Want to be strong emotionally, I sense. So over the page, emotional fitness or health will help you live a balanced and meaningful life. This is a part of the fullness we're called to. So this expression, deal with your emotions or they will deal with you. If we don't learn how to recognize, process, um, and use emotion well, they, they use us. And by definition, they use other people around us also. They are God-given. You have emotions because actually we're told God is a God who expresses emotion. We're made in his image. Now there is a danger of being over-emotional. We'll talk more about that. Um, in other words, it's the only realm I kind of live out of. However, there's, a, there's an opposite danger of just being stone cold. There's no emotion. Nothing gets expressed. As we're driving down here, Senator Carroll said, you know, sometimes it can sound like, you know, this is the realm for the ladies, the females among us. And there is a reality that men and women are different. But to say men and women are not emotional is crazy and absurd. Let's face it. We just sometimes respond to and express these things differently. So we've got to be aware of the two extremes of over-emotional, but also being um, kind of stone cold, <laughs> a denial of emotion perhaps. Now, we are told that we, are, we have a, a physical frame, we have a physical body that we're, we're given by God. In fact, our, our physical frame, as we're looking in First John, is important. It's especially important because of the incarnation. God himself took physical frame. But we're, we also have a soul, which references the realm of the emotion, the mind, the will, and the emotions. I'm a thinking, doing, and feeling person. Um, and as, as believers, we also believe we have spiritual life. I think we all have spiritual life. The question is, are we, are we alive to that? And is that a dynamic within us? And uh, I want to talk about the, we will talk about the connection between each of these realms. One plays off against another. You can't separate them out from one another. And uh, our emotional state very much affects our physical condition as well as our spiritual condition because we're a whole. And God is concerned for every aspect of who we are, body, soul, and spirit, I would suggest. So this is important. 
as we learn to, to deal with and respond to our own emotions, it actually helps us do the same in responding to other people. Ever met somebody who's expressed an emotion and you're not quite sure what to do? <laughs> Come on, let's be honest. <laughs> and, and, and a big part of living in a relationship or living in a family or living in a community is learning to respond to emotion. And sadly, very often when we don't, we end up in trouble. And we divide and fight and all the rest of it. So, um, as well as learning to deal with our own emotions, we've got to also learn to respond well to other people's because they affect us. Now, understanding how emotions work is a fundamental people skill. You know, we are not redeemed just to go to heaven. In fact, I'm not sure we're redeemed for that at all. We're, we're redeemed to live in close, intimate connection with the God who created us and one another as, as family. This is the goal. And, uh, and therefore, we need people skills and godly skills. And I would suggest that having those makes us successful in every arena of life. This is not just about church, because essentially the kingdom of heaven is about everything. It's all-encompassing. If we develop healthy people skills, it will, it will serve as well in the home, in the workplace, in the, com the wider community, and certainly in the community of faith. It is said that um, the human personality is made up of one-fifth rational and four-fifths emotional. The rational component of our brain versus the emotional and their relative uh, emphasis and strength and influence is of that sort of ratio. <clears throat> Which means most of our decisions come out of our emotional state, not our rational thought process. We act out, in other words. Um, <clears throat> and like I say, I think this is why Jesus came, to stop us acting out but to help us connect. Understanding emotions and how they work, therefore, is key and a prerequisite for us to have close, intimate relationships. And I'm not just talking about the husband and wife. I'm talking about friendships. I'm talking about family. I'm talking about workplace, colleagues. Connecting with anyone and every, everyone um, calls for us to be, have a sense of confidence and freedom in the area of our emotions. Please feel free to jump in and challenge or ask or comment about any of this as we're, we're going through this, by the way. So what is the definition of an intimate relationship? All right. Good question. Who came on the last training? What does intimacy mean? We define intimacy as a deep mutual knowing for the purpose of care. It's a reflection of God who is intimate with the upright. Jesus, who revealed and built friendships based upon intimacy, he let his disciples know him, and he sought to know them. It's a mutual knowing, because at the heart of relationship is knowing. But it's, it's not one way, it's not top-down, it's mutual, but it's not just for information's sake, it's so that we know how to give and care for one another. And I would suggest this is, this is intimacy. Or connection, close relationship. Same kind of thing we're, we're, we're trying to communicate here. Can I say, it's important actually that we don't forget that last bit for the purpose of care. You know, we can keep on asking questions of people and if we don't either remember it or do anything with it, then it's meaningless. We had someone we knew in Austin who would constantly ask us questions. It was like a barrage of questions and it wore me out and he never did anything with it he would just ask questions so I think when we're saying that we're, we're really emphasizing do you care enough to remember the things that people have told you so that you can act, yeah so that you can then act on them. give yeah yeah so I like that <laughs> um so it's about a sharing of all of ourselves being known you don't do that with everyone but it's really important that we're doing that with someone, a few people. Alan. Um, at work, they have 
because uh, connection leads to correction. If we have people coming in with troubles and uh, yeah. Wonderful truth. In fact, you know, that whole word of connection, you've heard me share this before, is we used to teach in the workplace, finding purpose beyond performance, and one of those areas in connection. You're upon this earth to connect deeply with a few people because of that very reason. It's connection that gives us life. We're, we're created for that. The whole thrust of Jesus' ministry is to connect us to God and each other, that we would know this love of the Father, that he would be in us and we would be in him. We would be one. We, uh, we went on a marriage intensive. This was part of our training, <laughs> but uh, it was good for us as a couple as well, which meant basically three days in a hotel room with two other couples whose marriages were both in crisis. And boy, did we get to connect deeply. <laughs> It was, it was all day for three days solid and it was very intense and there was a lot of emotion in the room but there was a lot of sharing and deep vulnerability and it just struck me how amazing how deeply we felt a sense of connection with these two other couples that we'd never met before. Such I think is the case of the human condition and what God has created us for. And you can find ways of connecting with strangers by learning how to respond particularly in this area of the emotion. Now, it's only by engaging, number five, only by engaging with others on an emotional level that will, will our aloneness be removed. Now, you've heard me talk about this a little bit as well. The first human crisis was the fact that Adam in paradise, in perfect relationship with God, with pretty good meaningful employment, looking after creation, God said it's still not good. For it's not good to, for man to be alone. We were created to live, and we are hardwired to live in connected relationships. Not just with God, because he was in perfect relationship with God, but it still wasn't good. God is not enough. That's the thrust of what we read this morning in 1 John. Anyone who says he loved God but hate his brother is deceived and the truth is not in him. The truth is to lead us to connect with one another. Because our goal, I think, whilst we're upon the earth is to learn how to remove the aloneness in our culture and in our world. People who are alone because they're disconnected from themselves, uh, from one another, and certainly from God. We had this come up in the midweek and you know, sometimes we, Jesus told a great parable about the log and the splinter. To, to reorder our focus, because it's so easy for us, to, our knee-jerk response often is to judge and criticize and point out what's wrong with the other. And Jesus turns that on his head. He says, no, if you can do that with anyone, do it with yourself. In order that you can care for your neighbor, help them. That's a form of care. Because your goal with your neighbor is to remove their aloneness, not to convict them of their sin. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are perfectly capable of doing that. But they need people who will care sufficiently to, to get through to them. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world through compassion, connection, and love. It's an extraordinary gospel message. But we've turned it on his head. We've taken on God's role. And we wonder why the world isn't interested in us. Anyway, sorry I'm into preaching if I'm not careful. Whoops, too late. But what I would say is the antidote for aloneness is intimacy, is connected relationships. And for that to be a reality, we have to learn to wrestle with this issue of aloneness, which is a consequence of our fallenness, our brokenness. But it's on the heart of God. It's on the heart of God before the fall, our aloneness. Never mind since. It's why his heart is for the orphan and the widow, because why? They're alone. They're outside of the community. They have no family. And God knows we don't thrive in that place. And he has a particular compassion for people in that space. So what is aloneness? Like I said, a sense of being disconnected, uh, feeling that no one knows me or no one cares. Like Carol said, both of those are important. Don't just get information about me. Act on it. 
a sense of isolation or lack of closeness, uh, not sure that I'm deeply known, others let me know them at this same deep level. So aloneness in many ways is the opposite of intimate. And, uh, you know, it's something that's, that's crippling um, the human. Neil, is a seat down here, please come and join us, welcome. Um, it's just vital. So when you think about this, as you reflect on your spiritual background, so your experience in the church, your experience in family, thinking about um, spiritual life, what messages do you recall receiving concerning the appropriateness and legitimacy of emotions? So is this, I mean, it might be something that never came up. It might be something that was talked about a lot. It might be something that was said, you know, don't go near those things, stay away. There's no place for them in the church. I don't know, but just reflect at your tables for a few minutes um, as to what your experience was. I'll just share a few scriptures around this. Because <clears throat> I think God is really comfortable with both facts and feelings. Early on in the narrative of Genesis, God, the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth. He's grieved. And his heart was filled with pain. In the life of Jesus, as he saw some of the <clears throat> response, particularly of the religious leaders, Jesus looked around at them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. When the disciples returned after their missionary journey, Jesus, well, the scriptures say, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, full of joy. This is part of the fullness <laughs> that God creates us for. And of course, it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Paul taught that the Holy Spirit can be grieved by our behavior and the quality of our relationships in our community when we are refusing to forgive, when we live with conflict. It grieves the Spirit of God, it grieves God. Just as God was grieved, we read in Isaiah, in the, in the wilderness wanderings, the same, that's kind of what the, the scripture that Paul is picking up on. So this is a God engaged with human beings when he doesn't need to be, but he chooses to be because that's what love does, whilst still being sovereign over the affairs of creation, whilst still being omniscient. He knows everything and everyone and every circumstance, and he has power to do whatever he wants, but he allows himself to be filled with pain. Isn't that amazing? Because that's a consequence of love, risking with people who don't reciprocate. We, know, we all know something of that. So if emotions are so important, why do some people seem to be emotionally stone-cold rocks? <laughs> Hard as rock. Well, as I say here, some of it's our cultural conditioning. What are some of the ways, just within the, the culture and our, our backgrounds, family background, uh, when it comes to proper emotional expression, what are some of the messages we hear? Yeah. Stiff upper lip. The good stoic British character. Boys Big boys don't cry. But it's a huge one, isn't it? In other words, to be, to be big and strong means you don't show what you're feeling. You're feeling it, but you don't let somebody see that. You hide. Sticks and stones. Sticks and stones. Yeah. But words will never hurt me. Suck it up. Buttercup. <laughs> what don't kill you only makes you stronger. We could sing a song about that one, couldn't we? Never show where you Because you never know what someone will do with it. Sadly. We don't grow up with good modeling and examples, do we? Unfortunately. 
So as well as the messages we sometimes subconsciously or overtly take on board, uh, another cause is just unhealed hurt in our lives, pain, the pain we experience, the disappointments. Um, it, left to itself, it could create the sort of emotional numbness. This is a significant impact. And uh, very often, the choice is to disengage, to disconnect, to isolate, or to self-medicate, because I just can't cope with the pain. And where do you take it? Because big boys don't cry. Strong people don't feel, seems like. And it's so, so important that we change this message and this mantra. It's kind of interesting to me, you know, the stiff upper lip, the, the, the British, you know, apparently back in like the 16th, 17th century, the, the British culture was very emotional, but it changed. And, and often it's leadership, it's royalty <laughs> that sets the tone and changes a culture. Um, it's interesting to me that the two princes, whilst, whilst they were still talking to one another, but anyway, uh, but they've talked a lot about mental health issues and depression in the public arena. Um, seeing one of them, I mean, I think it was last season maybe, before every soccer game, they would show a five-minute film clip about mental health to guys at football pitches who get very emotional <laughs> watching a game of soccer but can't with their spouse or their friends. So emotions are natural and essential. And therefore, I think to experience this abundant life, this fullness Jesus came to bring, includes uh, the realm of our emotions. We need to be emotionally alive and healthy. And for us, for our emotions to remain healthy and for us to have the freedom we're talking about, that means we've got to learn to manage them, to process them well. Because there's no guarantee that we're not going to experience the painful ones. In fact, there's almost a guarantee we will. But again, that's what God makes provision for. And uh, I mentioned it earlier, but reference, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Admirable and vital qualities, but they are a consequence of intimate relationship with God. Because emotions are quite simply the consequence of relational experiences. When, when you do something good to me, I feel emotionally positive. When you do something hurtful to me, I feel something hurt. That, that triggers painful emotion and other things as well. So it's quite simply that, just a reflection of what we're experiencing. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is meant to be a good thing. However, We've got to learn to be both spiritually and emotionally impacted by the spirit within the community. So, another reflection time. On the back of your, uh, almost the back of your notes, uh, there are some questions. And at the top, number one, just talk again at your tables a little bit. How skilled are you at sensing other people's emotional condition? How skilled are you at responding appropriately to other people's emotions? How skilled are you at expressing your own emotions? Yes, do I, do I live out of this place of communion with Christ, the spirit, and the freedom of that? Or do I come out of, basically, my flesh? And this is, this is where our understanding about the nature of the body, the soul, and the spirit are so vitally important. <laughs> because we need all, all of those kind of working in tandem together. And God came to save all of those aspects of our humanity. Uh, but yeah, I can, I can choose to walk in the flesh. Easy as wink, come so naturally, so easily. And we all can. And from time to time, we all do. Hence the need for confession and forgiveness. Now, that's not that we take advantage of that, because remember, don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Be broken over that. So these two skills at the bottom are the two key ones that we're going to hone in on for most of our rest of our time. One is, these, these are very biblical principles of both emotional expression, how do you express what you're feeling, 
and then emotional responding. How do you respond well to the emotions of others? And we've been talking about the, these two sides of things. So firstly, emotional expression. Uh, we must be open and honest with God and others. Or there's an invitation to that. Because, I hope you're hearing, we don't have intimacy. We don't have deep, profound connection that is life-giving and transformational to us without this. Um, which means, am I open and honest with God? Am I open and honest with my spouse, my children, my friends, with anyone? <clears throat> For that, we need to develop an emotional vocabulary. So, um, you've got the, the faces page. This is a starting point. This one. Uh, we would use this in the workplace because you realize most people haven't been taught growing up to label and recognize and communicate about what they're feeling. And it's vitally important that we're able to express ourselves in a healthy way, in a way that's conducive towards connection, not kind of pushing people a mile away. Because the solution is always in connection. It's never in isolation. It's not good to be isolated in that sense. That's not to say we don't need time on our own. Hey, come on, you introverts. We love it, don't we? We need space like that, but we cannot, we're not created for that alone. Absolutely not. Um, so this can help developing the, the, the sort of skills of labeling and talking about what we're feeling. So once we have a vocabulary, we've got to use it. And as we'll see in a minute, there are basically two types of emotions. Pretty much every emotion falls into one of two buckets. And this helps us in the responding side of things. It's either a positive emotion or it's a painful emotion. And you just got to figure out which is it in order to give the right response. Come on to that in a minute. But getting comfortable talking about how we feel. This is a journey for me. Believe you me petrified of being known at this level because I didn't grow up with it. I didn't experience what was meant to be a secure place where it was okay to feel and have people respond in a healthy way. It's too much humor in my family growing up and, and too much distance. And that did not serve me well. I don't think it served my two brothers well. We still don't do close intimate conversation well in my family of origin. Sadly, it's got better. Spoke to my dad last Friday. He's 95 going 96. He says, I love you directly to me. It was his 80th birthday the first time he did that. So we're 15 years in and I'm thankful for that. But I actually needed it 90 years ago. And we all do. And that's just one, one example. Because we're all feeling this stuff, we just keep it hidden. Because of those messages and because of that conditioning through our experiences and our own trauma and pain. Most teen dynamics <laughs> in the church and in business and the workplace are hugely impacted by this stuff and we don't know what to do with it. Most of the, the difficult, challenging conflict situations in this community are because of this. Quite simply, people have got pent-up emotion and they don't know what to do with it. And it comes out as accusation, judgment, removal of themselves, uh, all sorts of things that are not conducive to healthy spiritual life or community. Now, at one level, I'm not surprised by that. I'm saddened deeply and immensely by it because I know there's a better way now. <laughs> Um, but we've got to make it central to our life together because we're all dealing with it and some better than others. And a part of discipling others into maturity is helping them get free, um, not just from past pain, but also to be able to deal better with the future pain that's going to come because pain's inevitable. And obviously next week we'll talk a lot more about uh, the pain journey. But that's the driver for pretty much all the, the, the painful emotions is uh, being hurt, which is essentially my needs are withheld. 
from people I expect to meet those needs or I experience the, the very opposite of what I need. Thankfully, God is not like that. So this uh, little exercise is always good and helpful and I encourage you in your time off and times together with others. In fact, whilst you're going through this, make sure you're kind of journeying with somebody. Don't treat this as rational information. Goodness me. If that's, if that's the only level we engage with this, we are sunk. Uh, if, I, if, I, if this doesn't help you connect and experience something in the Lord and with others, then we'll be, <laughs> let's pack in now. But I know that's hard. So I encourage you to kind of have a journey, mate. Have somebody you're walking with through this and talking about this and, and reflecting on some of the things I'm talking about, or we're talking about, and uh, um, how God is speaking to you in the midst of this. But So just looking at your faces, some of you will have done this before. Circle the emotions you felt this week that you carried around with you. What have you felt this week? Put a circle around it. And then put a check mark next to the ones that you've circled that you've actually shared with your partner or with somebody. Have you actually talked with somebody about that emotion? And then, if there's one of those same emotions that you've actually shared with the Lord and allowed him to minister to, put a little plus or gold star next to it. <clears throat> So, <clears throat> emotional expression is about connecting with, recognizing, and being willing to share with another person, or God, and God, something of what you're feeling. The other side of it is the emotional responding. Um, <clears throat> so, a significant principle in this is this idea of head-to-head, heart-to-heart. It's important that when we're responding to somebody... If they share something rational, that we respond in kind with something rational. So, for instance, if I say, ah, it sure is hot outside, that's kind of a rational statement. Okay? It's coming from my head. And an appropriate response would be something like, yes, it is hot, and it's going to get even hotter tomorrow. We're just talking facts and information. And uh, it's not that costly. It's not too risky. Um, but it's an appropriate way of responding to one another. Equally, when we respond, when, we say, when somebody says something from the heart, goes beyond the rational to something you know, of themselves and what they're feeling, really important that we don't just respond with the head. But we've got to respond with the heart. So, when somebody says, it's so hot outside, I had to, a flat tire on my way home from work. I got so frustrated having to change the tire out in the heat. My shirt was dripping. So, we've got a bit of emotion now, haven't we? There's some frustration. There's some angst caused by a combination of the heat and a flat tire. An appropriate response Drink lots of water. And there we have it. A perfect example of what not to do. And we would all love that, wouldn't we? Oh, thank you. I, I, I should have thought of that. How silly of me. <laughs> I'm sorry you got frustrated. I can imagine how annoying it must have been to have to change the tire, particularly in this heat. So there's some compassion, there's some care about that. That must have been miserable. <clears throat> so, heart to heart is okay, because head, like head to head, we get into trouble <laughs> when we mix the two. It sure is hot outside. Oh, I'm so sorry. Are you all right? How's that sound? <laughs> kind of a bit... <laughs> <laughs> You see, it's a bit from the heart to something that the person's not at that level, so it doesn't land. Or, it's so hot outside, I had a flat tire on the way home from work, I got so frustrated having to change the tire out in the heat. 
Yes, it is hot, and it's going to get even hotter tomorrow. <laughs> Take water with you. <laughs> so when we res which just sucks to be you. <laughs> so when we respond with the head to a heart kind of openness, it just. It kind of adds to the aloneness. You see, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to remove the aloneness of the experience through connection. You don't connect when somebody's been vulnerable with their heart, when you keep it in your head. This is our goal, connection. And this is a great gift that we can give to one another. So recently, I, I kind of missed it entirely with one of my daughters. I was reminded <laughs> by my helpful conscience. <clears throat> Recently in conversation, apparently, my, my memory is a little fuzzy at this point. <laughs> you know, I'd asked my daughter to, um, recently, to go and pick up a picture from our old house. Um, actually, in mind to bless Carol, because I know it was a picture we got on our 25th wedding anniversary. We were on a cruise and it was a collection thing. And when we sold our house, the guy bought everything in it. And then at closing, wanted it all for basically nothing. You kind of had to do it. So there was a bit of angst about that. But nevertheless, um, everything went with it. But I really wanted this picture back. So I, I contacted him and asked him. And, and he was fine. He says, yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll leave it outside the house. So my daughter lives in Austin. I just thought on a very practical level, is there a day you could just stop by and pick up the picture? Little realizing the impact of going to the house where she experienced so much with us and now doesn't. And in a conversation actually prior to this, she'd made the comment that she was really sad that we don't live there. And apparently I rather foolishly said something like, well, it's maybe a good thing that you feel sad because it's an indication of the quality of our relationship. <laughs> it's hard to believe, isn't it? Am I a grown-up or not? I don't fully remember that, but Carol does. And apparently my daughter really does. So I actually tried to call her this afternoon, but she was out with friends and it wasn't the appropriate moment to get vulnerable and confess that and show some care about it. Because we can always recover if we're willing. Because we, we'll miss it at times, um, the best of us. <laughs> so thinking about, you know, <clears throat> I've got some little vignettes here. That, um, how about this one? So emotional expression and three types of responses. Let me, tell me which one you think is the best. Mom and Dad, you can't believe what happened at school today. Ryan asked me to go to the junior-senior banquet. I've been hoping he'd ask me, and he did. Response number one. That's great. I'm so happy for you. Tell us about it, all about it. When did he ask you? Have you told your friends? Response number two. Sally, before we start talking about banquets, we need to discuss the C you made in chemistry. If you don't start spending more time on your homework, you can forget any extracurricular activities. Response number three, sweetheart, tell us about it later. Right now, we're late for church. If we don't leave in five minutes, we might as well not go. Would you help your brother get his shoes on? Which was the better of the responses? Number one, number one. It's a beautiful day outside, and I'm happy to have the day off from work. Just think, 24 hours of freedom. I can do whatever I want. Relax, play golf, read a book. Response number one, before you get too excited, remember the sink needs to be fixed. Our income tax is due, and you can forget about the golf. We're out of money. All of those things might be true. Response number two, it's a beautiful day. I'm glad you have the day off. You deserve it. Response number three, have you seen my car keys? <laughs> so we can choose to actually ignore it altogether and just leave them hanging. Where are they? 
my keys. We can respond with the head. And you, and you know, we can respond with absolute truth and still totally miss what that person needs. And we do it all the time in the church. People are lonely. We tell them they've got God. You need never be alone. People are mourning. We give them scriptures. There's nothing wrong with giving people scriptures. There's nothing wrong with reinforcing the fact that God is with people. But in the moment of vulnerably sharing emotion, people need a human being to care. And we get to do that through compassion and be God to them in the sense of expressing his love in the flesh of a human being, that is. Really important. And this is essentially what we're talking about when we think about empathy. <clears throat> and um, Empathy matters. <laughs> this quote from this chap from the 5th century BC, <laughs> Thucydides. It was in those who had recovered from the plague that the sick and dying found most compassion. It's kind of relevant for today maybe, isn't it? You see, when we've been through pain, we're more equipped to be compassionate. When we've been through something like somebody else has been, it's perhaps we're more in touch with what it must have felt like and what it does feel like in that moment. <clears throat> and it's really important that when we do respond with emotion, we respond with the right type of emotion, not any old emotion. So we can't just randomly pick one. We've got to be sensitive to the need. It's got to be the right one. Uh, but what is key to helping in getting that response right is nurturing and developing empathy. We've got to learn to feel with others. Which is a sign, I think, an indication of our profound connection. I found myself, when Rosie was sharing this morning, tears. I mean, I felt incredible sadness in that moment. There was something in me, and I shared it briefly, but not really as much as it was happening within me, just felt a real sense of, a profound sense of, of loss, of people that I barely knew. This is remarkable, isn't it? This is what it means to be human. This is what it means to be like God. He cares this much. He's the father of compassion. He feels with us in our pain. And it's crucially important that we nurture this, this, um, this ability to feel with others. Of course, that takes some freedom, doesn't it? We can't be so wrapped up in our stuff that we just ain't got capacity for feeling your stuff as well. Because we don't tend to wake up in the morning just looking forward to an opportunity to feel someone else's pain. We've got enough of my own going on, thank you. But moments and opportunities arise every day for this. You were talking about an example. Yeah. So even, even this afternoon, after <clears throat> church, I had to pick up a prescription and I went into Walmart and the, um, the person on the, the cash point, normally I go to the self-checkout and I thought, today I thought, no, I'll, I'll go to the other one. I had some bananas or something. So I went and she just said, oh, you know, my shift is dragging so much. The first half was okay, but the second half is really dragging. And I just thought, okay, this is, this is happening all around. So this is one of those moments where I, I decide, I'm going to meet this with, with care. You know, am I going to meet it with uh, logic? So I, I just, I did. I said to her, well, I'm really sorry to hear that. It must be, you must be feeling really tired. Uh, and then, you know, I kind of entered into conversation with her and asked her what time she was there till. And, um, but just offered her that care and, and met her in that place. And so, you know, you'll find that this is happening all the time. And you'll start to notice it more and more. I mean, some of you already do, I know. But uh, when you start looking for these things and listening, uh, we'll have lots of opportunities. And it, it'll slow you down. But it's a good thing because we're giving care just to a stranger. Mm. Yeah. 
That's interesting, it'll slow you down. Yeah. We don't cope well with that notion, do we? Life's too, I've got too much stuff to do. We can fill our lives with getting stuff done. But you were created to find purpose in connection. Seriously. It, it's amazing to me, I thought moving from a vastly urban, rapidly growing city in central Texas to Port Alberni, everything would be very slow. And how would I fill my days? Not a problem. <laughs> You're doing that for me very well. No, it's interesting. Isn't it? Everywhere we go, we can find stuff to do at times. Um, but connection takes some real focus and uh, purpose and intentionality and, and an openness of, of heart. Do I allow myself to be touched by people and their circumstances and situations? And this is the characteristic of Jesus's ministry. It amazed people that he had compassion, that he touched the outcasts, that he spent time with people. And he seemed to be unhurried. Lord, give us grace for these things. Uh, um, where I promised a break, we didn't take one. Shall we take a quick break? Anyone need the restroom? Stretch your legs, get a glass of water. Just a quick five, ten minutes. So, advantages of attunement. I feel that someone cares for me and is willing to enter into my emotional world. Frank was talking about the mother and mayhem in the house and uh, kids screaming and hair's not right and stress goes to the door, the doorbell rings and it's a friend there and suddenly everything changes. But what changes everything is a connection and a lack of aloneness, but also this sense of here's somebody willing to enter my emotional world and my physical world and my reality. And isn't that what Jesus did? He entered my world. The word took flesh and moved into the neighborhood. It's a great picture of the mission of the church. It's to enter into the, the mayhem of people's lives. This idea of the non-anxious presence. Can I be present to people and care and give hope? I feel that someone understands me. That's an important thing. I mean, I may look crazy. But when, when I feel somebody is in tune with what I'm going through, um, there's a sense of reassurance that they understand what I'm dealing with. And I feel it's okay to be emotional and express emotions. They are legitimate. And this is what we have to give to one another and encourage. And many of us might not have grown up with this and might not have been used to it in the church, but it's vitally important. This should be a place, or in terms of our relationships, where it's safe to express our reality. Isn't that walking in the light? It's not to say your reality is the best thing for you, but it's your reality. And the question is, do I care enough to know you in the place you are in and not try to fix you? Get rational, give you scripture, tell you what to do. There's space for all of those things, but not in the moment of shared angst. Got to connect and care. Some of you will have seen this, but because there are one or two who won't have done, um, I want to share this um, still face experiment. And I hope you online get this okay. And this still face experiment, what the mother did was she sits down and... Get this okay. She's playing with her baby, who's about a year of age. I'm like a girl. Oh. And she gives a greeting to the baby. The baby gives a greeting back to her. Yeah. This baby starts pointing at different places in the world, and the mother's trying to engage her and play with her. They're working to coordinate their emotions and their intentions, what they want to do in the world. And that's really what the baby is used to. And then we ask the mother to not respond to the baby. The baby very quickly picks up on this. And then she uses all of her abilities to try and get the mother back. She smiles at the mother. 
she points because she's used to the mother looking where she points. Yeah. The baby puts both hands up in front of her and says, what's happening here? She makes that screechy sound at the mother, like, come on, why aren't we doing this? Even in this two minutes when they don't get the normal reaction, they react with negative emotions, they turn away, they feel the stress of it, they actually may lose control of their posture because of the stress that they're experiencing. It's a little like the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good is that normal stuff that goes on, that we all do with our kids. The bad is when something bad happens, but the infant can overcome it. After all, when you stop the still face, the mother and the baby start to play again. The ugly is when you don't give the child any chance to get back to the good is no reparation and they're stuck in that really ugly situation. We get stuck in the ugly place. Of course, this isn't just true of children, this is true of us as adults. We, we just mask things and hide things much better. We're far more sophisticated, generally, sometimes. We don't immediately start screaming, and, uh, but it's going on inside of us nonetheless. So the, you know, if there are positives to this kind of emotional attunement, there are the downside of when it's missing, as in this example here. I feel no one cares for me. I'm emotionally alone. Ever felt that? I feel no one understands me. Eventually, I'll be reluctant to express my emotions and may even begin to doubt the legitimacy of my emotions. You know, we can, we can get so mixed up and confused that we can begin to believe that we shouldn't be feeling this stuff or that we're at fault because we need to be able to mirror and reflect back with others. We need, we need that kind of intimate connection with people. It's as simple as that in many ways. And yet there are these forces compelling us to avoid this, if we're honest. And it's the deception of the enemy. Sadly, who wants to divide and keep us isolated and alone because then we're of little use very often. You know, and, and, and close, intimate connection in this way, and particularly this kind of emotional attunement, is, you know, early in my life, I was clueless about this. This would have seemed like, I don't even know how to get near that. Now, I think, you know, I became a Christian at 25 in terms of trusting in Christ and receiving the Spirit and being touched by the love of the Father in ways that I couldn't imagine. And God began to heal and show me something. But there's still a wrestling. There's still a trying to come to terms with this message that doesn't fit many of my boxes and my understanding about the world. And that's the process of transformation, being renewed in our thinking, and, but also renewed in our ability to empathize and feel with and connect at that depth, both with God and with people. And... Um, Spent too much of my time over many years trying to help couples in marriage do that, where there's just aloneness because of struggle. And it's sad to see because there's something else that's possible that's immensely rich and life-giving. But we've got to do some work on ourselves. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit to do some work on ourselves. We've got to take some risk with a few people. And when we do, the fruit is extraordinary. And um, we've got time for that. So here's the scripture. It's familiar to some. It's from Romans. And, it's, and, and it speaks directly into this idea of emotional attunement. When Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. 
And those are the two categories of emotions that we've talked about. People will express things that, ex that are actually positive, healthy, good things happening and the, the resultant emotions associated. And we in that moment get an opportunity to respond. We can enter into the joy. Rather than ask heady questions, we can celebrate. We can high five, fist bump, whatever's appropriate. We can smile even. We can feel someone else's joy. And equally important, and perhaps even more profound, is that we can feel each other's pain, and we can weep with those who weep, another translation would say. We can be that most profound expression of the nature of our God who comforts us in our suffering and our pain. As Rosie said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We're comforted when others mourn with us. And we feel we are most human, I think, and we're most godly at the same time. When, when we can have that sort of capacity and care for another, that we would weep over their loss, grief, sadness. It's immensely powerful. It's, it's very simple at one level. It's a simple message, but it's eluded us very often. And I think, I think talk about something that will impact the world. It's if we are people who are willing to weep with those who are sad and broken and lost. What a gift. So that's what we've got to think about. There are two categories. Of is what this person is expressing. If I realize this is not a head thing going on, this is a heart thing. This is, they're expressing something that's emotional. What category is, in, is it? Therefore, is this an opportunity to rejoice or to mourn? to be happy with them and celebrate together. And you know, even in that moment, I can't remember now the circumstances, but you know, I'm so heady, because <laughs> I was raised in that way, is that I can tell you what's wrong with your joy. <laughs> I can tell you why that something might go wrong or, you know, I can break it down and analyze it. And I hate that. I was a systems analyst. You know, we were trying to train to look at systems and think about this kind of stuff. And I've, I've got to let that stuff go. And for somebody who's rejoicing over something that I might think in the long run isn't going to serve them well. You went out and bought what? <laughs> How are you going to pay for that? <laughs> But in that shared moment, they're feeling some joy. And the last thing they need is me to pour cold water on it. <laughs> I have an example. <laughs> Not about me, is it? Not about me, then. <laughs> no, no. And it's just this kind of ongoing banter that we have. So I love plants. And coming here has been a thrill for me to kind of accumulate some new plants Rosie's given me some new plants as she was dividing hers up and putting them in and I'll say to Mike because you know I'll say oh I just you know put this plant in I did that and I will say to him just enter my joy <laughs> I have to give him some hints we need pointers at times <laughs> you know. but just even in that little interaction it makes it even more fun for me if he's excited for me. I mean, he probably couldn't care less, but you know, I'm excited and it means a lot to me that he's excited about it. And so he'll go and look out the window and kind of venture in and say, so what did you do? Yeah. <laughs> I've been rejoicing recently that uh, my soccer team, Leeds United, who spent 16 years out of the Premier League and now back in the Premier League. <laughs> Opening game was against Liverpool, who won the title last year, and they just lost 4-3. But they won yesterday. And it amazes me that Carol asks me questions about this and celebrate with me over something that's, you know. <laughs> Truth no, be told, time she'll even sit with me a little bit and watch something like that. But again, this is what intimacy, this is what, you know. It's this idea, am I humble enough to put aside my needs and enter somebody else's need? And in that moment, there's a need for somebody to be happy with me. As there are times when I need somebody to feel sad with me. And we get to do that for one another. And if we just did that, I think it would change the world. 
Now, there's a whole journey we're going to go on over these next seven weeks, which will look at the things that get in the way of doing this, because it's really all about this connection. But there's these emotions that get in the way. And it's really important that we learn to deal with those things. So, so not, we, we don't just jettison that. That becomes a part of God's shaping and forming of us in ways that we wouldn't without them. Actually, they can, this is how, it's just the picture of the cross. God takes the most horrific form of, cruci- you know, of death and punishment and makes it a gateway to life. A place of blessing. And he, he does that in our lives in the same way. It's amazing. It's extraordinary. It's all the grace of God. And the enemy is confused by it, I think. Anyway, that's where we're going. So, in summary, in conclusion, so some of these... <clears throat> I've put some other ways in which you and your, your journey mate, your partner, the person you're walking with, can talk about some of this stuff and process some of this together and even do some homework. That doesn't get handed in either, by the way. But I want to encourage you to be uh, attentive to that. These general principles on emotional expression responding, these are lifelong needs. We have this example of the child. That's how God created us. That's us in our purest form before we put on all the masks and hiddenness and layers and essentially i think it's that kind of freedom god is reintroducing obviously with some maturing as well but it's lifelong and it's funny like i said earlier seeing seeing my dad connecting with me emotionally in ways that are utterly foreign to me from him for most of his life but it's still meaningful and valid and hey, I, if we get an opportunity to connect in some small way, even remotely, but the beauty of technology um, and occasional visits, that's a wonderful thing. So lifelong. And it's, it requires continual experience. <laughs> like we say, every day there'll be an opportunity to do this. And the more that you do it, the, the more you'll enjoy the benefits of that and more you'll be a blessing to people around you because of it. But you don't do this on your own. (laughs) We do this with one another. We do this with people. And and, and in fact, everything we're going to talk about on this journey from from being slaves to sin, this journey out of slavery, this journey towards freedom and fullness is is a journey meant to be done with others it's not me and god it's us and god um this this idea of expression and responding can be done you know as two people together but it can be done in groups it can be done at tables it can be done in communities it can be done in families it can be done around meal tables i've seen it done in so many workplace team settings And it's extraordinary, the the difference and the change that comes about because of this. Even people who don't know the Lord do this and are deeply impacted by it because God's in it. So be thinking about particularly our loved ones, family, friends, those we're close to, those we're engaged with more often. They need this and you need this from them and look for opportunities. And then this question of, you know, who goes first? Particularly when the situation's tense or particularly when we're full of stuff that needs to be processed, talked about, shared, responded to. How do you, how do you organize that? Or do you just both go at it hammer and tongs? Well, no, that usually doesn't serve a purpose well. And generally the principle would be, it's probably important for the person who's got more pain than positive emotion to go first and for us to let them do that. That's the more destructive thing to us, damaging, potentially. And so let's prioritize pain, but not neglect the positive. And then secondly, there's a sense of maturity about this. Because 
the more I mature in the Lord is not that I don't need this, but I can wait. I can give even in the midst of my pain. We kind of touched on that earlier. And I think it is a sign of maturity. That sometimes you catch glimpses with children. You know, we, we had our granddaughter learn about kindness and she comes home and her big brother, who's two or three years older than her, you know, he's been told to tidy up his room. And Winnie, the four-year-old, says, we learned about kindness today. Let me come and help you. And she did. Isn't that amazing? Probably won't be always like that. <laughs> but you catch these glimpses, don't you? And that's a beautiful thing. But I think it's a sign of maturity that I can humbly lay aside my need in order to attend to yours. And trust that in time you would do the same for me, as and when. Anyway, um, use those questions that I put on there to do some reflection as we go forward. And uh, we will kind of pick up from here next time. So bring your notes back with you. Thank you, Lord, that um, you modeled this in your, in your earthly life, Jesus, as you walked about, both in terms of how you responded to others, but also how you shared of your own need and struggle and at times disappointment with those closest to you. Give us courage um, to, to, in a way, press into closer relationships one with another. Deepen our love for one another. Grant us greater freedom in both expression and good response to each other. To rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. May this place be known as a place where it's safe to be who you are. That people genuinely want to know you and care and support and help us grow in freedom. Multiply this work out, Lord, we pray. And Lord, would you just bless every person, every family, every home represented here. May your presence flood and fill their lives. May they know the joy of you and your sense of delight in them. Lead us on, Lord, we pray in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.